0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from Christ Church Le Grand So, uh, this week for me um, went went a little bit different than, than normal. Where uh, typically I, I'm I'm working pretty hard to do my reading and study and. Um, Th- Wednesdays and Thursdays and trying to be done preparing a sermon on Friday. And that went mostly like that about Friday evening, about five o'clock. I, I felt like I was, was, I was kind of done. And, and as I walked away from it to play with my kids for a bit, um, I, was, I was just really restless with, with what I had written. And, um, and it just seemed as if this was not the sermon for this week. So about six o'clock Friday night, I set all of that aside and, and and jotted down some thoughts and got up Saturday morning and started over. So just so you know, like a little glimpse into my process, this doesn't happen very often for me where I, where I start completely over at the last minute, but um, it seemed as if uh, God was leading us slightly differently. So we're continuing our study in the book of Mark. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 6. Um, this is one of those really uh, well-known stories of, of Jesus. One of, one of those well-known Jesus stories that you hear at, at VBS or at Sunday school or somebody, you know, tells the story and, and it's the feeding of the 5,000. And many of you have, have surely heard that story before. Um, it's usually painted... Uh, this scene is usually painted as this multitude of families sitting you know, quietly on, 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 on a hillside and just listening to Jesus and getting sort of lost in a, in a trance. And, and then all of a sudden, look at the time, and, and it's dinner time, and we didn't bring food. And that's sort of how it, it typically is, is, is pitched. Uh, but but there's, there's some bigger things going on in, in this text and some bigger things going on in where it sits, bigger stories intertwining here. That seemed like the bigger point. So we're going to read uh, Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. That's the summary statement from last week. And he said to them, "'Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat.' And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And he said to them, and they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread? And just for context, 200 denarii is like a year's wages. So let's, you know, translate that to today. We're talking many, many thousands of dollars is the estimate to buy meals for this size of a crowd, right? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Verse uh, 38, go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. And then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people and he divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish and those who ate the loaves were 5000 men this is uh, as i said one of one of the most well known miracles of jesus and and it's a it's a big miracle to feed you know 5000 people on on a hebrew happy meal is is a big miracle. Big miracle, and we don't want to, to miss that. The text is is really clear that this was a dire situation that was insurmountable, and it's Jesus' miraculous power that that feeds this crowd of people. So we, we don't want to miss the the massivity of that miracle while we look a little bit at, at the broader significance of this scene. There are bigger bigger forces at work, bigger stories intertwining and even colliding in some way in in this this text. And all of that is just brought together by the presence of Jesus in in our human plane on on this planet. In this particular case, in, in rural Galilee. There's hints in the text of something bigger going on. Mark um, as we've seen in this study so far, uh, Mark writes with just an artistic beauty that's sparse and blunt, and, and, but he's showing us through story and through structure and through subtle phrasing and, and the details that he includes and the details that he doesn't include, he's showing us what he means and what he wants us to take away from it rather than just spell it outright. And so it's a really beautiful way that the story comes together. One of those ways is the contrast between this banquet in a desolate place, in a, in a wilderness setting, and the banquet we looked at last week, Herod's Banquet. Herod's Banquet was held in a palace, and, and Jesus was held in the wilderness, in a desolate place. Herod's Banquet was VIP only. It was the the leading men of Galilee and the leaders, and only the best could get in the door. And Jesus, it says here, that that word all towards the end is pretty emphatic. This is an inclusive crowd of people around him. Herod's banquet came from resources. King, he was wealthy, and he could throw a huge birthday party for himself if he wanted. Jesus' banquet in the wilderness comes from need. Herod's banquet was self-serving. About him, about what he wanted, Jesus was other-serving, serving serving the crowd. And then, as we saw last week, Herod's banquet was deadly, and Jesus is life-giving. A hungry crowd eats. The repetition in this of the desolate place. This is another hint in the text of the bigger things going on in verse 31 and 32 and 35. It repeats that exact phrase, a desolate place, means we're supposed to notice and we're supposed to pay attention. We're supposed to pick up on that. Then the repeated phrasing, come away by yourselves, and they went away by themselves in, in 31 and 32, we're, we're supposed to catch that. That's meant to catch our attention to see that Jesus is leading them on a journey with him to be with Him, and to encounter His presence in a wilderness setting. And, and now we're connected back to the beginning of the book in chapter 1, this wilderness motif, the, the, the curtain that was hanging behind all of those stories through the first part of the book is the, the wilderness. John's baptism, drawing people out to the wilderness to encounter God. It's in the wilderness that Jesus is tempted and faces off with satanic forces, It's the invasion of the kingdom of God, and it echoes in the wilderness that we've seen that rhythm. So what we see here is it's still Jesus' mission, and it's still continuing. It's still his mission. He's still doing the same work. The heart of this story is verse 34. Jesus had compassion on them. Jesus had compassion on them. And that word that's translated compassion is only ever used to describe Jesus in the New Testament. So there's a particular capacity, a unique capacity for compassion that Jesus has, and a particular insight for what the needs are when, when we think of his compassion for the people. His compassion flows out as he sees them as sheep without a shepherd, this is another careful phrase that Mark's chosen to, to, to put in here. Sheep without a shepherd was, was a common phrase in the day, kind of an idiom that was used, but it didn't hold that, that, that pastoral image of a sheep and, and a shepherd in a, in a pasture. With a, it didn't hold that image. It didn't mean that when people used this term at the, during this day. It was not about tending and feeding, but it was about direction. It was about purpose, and it had military overtones. Sheep without a shepherd was about leadership and direction with, with a military emphasis. So this, this scene takes place in, in, in rural Galilee, a restless place. Verse 31, where it says that the, the people were coming and going is, is just a unique phrase that Mark doesn't use anywhere else. He uses a different word when, he, when he's describing the crowd than he uses in any of the other cases when he's talking about the crowd. It's mostly men. In John's account of this story, he says uh, near the end of the, of the story that the people intended to, to make Jesus king by force. This is a staunch anti-Roman crowd, staunch patriots. Zealots was the term that was used. They were zealous for Israel as their nation to reclaim their land, to push back Roman forces. And so this is the crowd that's milling around and coming and going and restless around him. And, And Jesus sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And that careful phrasing by Mark is meant to 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 give us an idea of what it is that Jesus sees. They're looking for a king. They're looking for a leader. They're looking for a military man to lead them into battle and to push back Rome. They're looking for a Joshua-like leader to, to lead them into battle, a military Messiah. But instead, Jesus gives them Moses, a shepherd and a teacher in the wilderness. Because when he sees them, With compassion in his heart and in his eyes, he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. He began to teach them many things. The wilderness setting that they're in, this desolate place, this description that's meant to ping as we go through Mark and connect, it's a continuation and a connection with the Exodus. God's people being in the wilderness in, in the book of Exodus, where Moses led them out of Egypt towards the promised land. So last week we looked at it. When, when Jesus sent his, his disciples on their first missionary journey, the, the instructions he gives was it was a really close mirror to God's instructions through Moses to the people of Israel the, the day of Passover, the day that he rescued them from slavery and from the midst of another nation. He gives those clear instructions and we get this connection That what Mark presented, when Mark presented that first missionary journey, he was doing it as an announcement. We're supposed to see that connection and see this as an announcement of a new kind of Exodus people, a new kind of people rescued and formed by God, and a new way of relating to God through Jesus, who would become the new Passover lamb, right? That imagery is used consistently. A new way of relating to God through Jesus. And so now, the very next scene, Jesus and his disciples find themselves in this wilderness, desolate place setting with a whole crowd of people and and no food to eat. Start to feel the scope of this storytelling. You start to feel the scope of what God's doing through Jesus on this earth and connecting with redemptive history all the way back. This is sort of a pointed moment in redemptive history. The disciples come to Jesus when they recognize this crisis and it's getting late and, and we don't have any food. We certainly don't have enough food for this many people and we're, we're a long ways from, from, whether it's through money or through distance, we're a long ways from being able to provide meals for all of these people. They come to Jesus with this crisis, and, and there's a parallel here with uh, the story in the book of Numbers, chapter 11. The book of Numbers, the Hebrew title for the book of Numbers, the Hebrew title is, In the Wilderness, Numbers 11 is when the people of God are complaining. He's provided manna, but they don't really want that anymore. They really, really want meat. And they're complaining and they're crying out to God. And then here's Moses' response as he goes to God on their behalf in, in verse 10. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. And Moses said to the Lord, "'Why have you dealt ill with your servant, and why have, you not found, why have I not found favor in your sight?'' that you lay the burden of all this people on me. Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that I swore to give your fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you'll treat me like this, kill me at once if I find favor in your sight that I may not see my wretchedness. Moses is crying out in despair. This is a crisis. The whole whole nation of Israel is is against him, and he's crying out to God on their behalf. In in verse 19, um, God responds, you shall not... you shall not eat just one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but a whole month. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow you shall eat meat. So there's a bit of a rebuke in there through God to His people that I don't, I'm not going to unpack at this moment. But God's response is, okay, I'm, I'm going to provide for you. And then in 21 and 22... Uh, Moses responds back to God, the people among whom I am number 600,000 on foot. And you've said, I will give them meat that they may eat a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them? And would that be enough for them? And then God's response in verse 23, is the Lord's hand shortened? do you think my arm's too short to do this? Do you think this is too big of a task for me? Moses is recognizing the dire situation and God's simply saying, "Do do, do do you think I can't do that? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. So the similarity there is Jesus' disciples come to him with a crisis and he doesn't immediately alleviate that he he tells them to do something about it is the first thing he does that's his first response is you give them something to eat and this is a picture this is a part of discipleship training in the midst of mission so he turns to them and says well, what what do you have to bring what is it what do you have Bring, bring that to me. And in the hands of Jesus, then, what, was, what is woefully inadequate to feed a, a crowd this size, it's transformed and it becomes a, abundant provision. So did you, did you think my, my arms were too short? Did you think my hands were too small that the answer to this crisis is to send them away? Is that, is that what you thought? What do you have? Give me what you view as lack. Bring to me your need, and I'll meet that need abundantly. Is this because Jesus couldn't do the miracle without some bread and some fish to start with? No. This is a teaching moment. This is a training moment. To first make an honest assessment of their own inability, of their need, the impossibility of the task. Jesus asked them to do something impossible. You give them something to eat. And now it's, it's on them to walk and to act and to move in faith and reliance on Jesus by following his instructions. Okay, <laughs> here's the five loaves and two fish. <laughs> Jesus looks on the people with compassion, people looking for a military Messiah, he he responds as a shepherd, giving them what they actually need. There's an echo in this story also of, of one of the later prophets, Ezekiel chapter 34, Verses 1 through 6 is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel to the shepherds of Israel, to the leaders of Israel. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves... My sheep were scattered and have wandered over all the mountains and over every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. Verse 11 is God's promise. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered so i will seek out my sheep and i will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness and i will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and i will feed them on the mountains of israel by the ravines and in all the un- all the inhabited places of the country I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. You're my sheep. I will do this. Verse 31 is one of those resonating verses. You are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture. So there's no mistaking who he's talking about, his people. And I am your God, declares the Lord God. Jesus looks out with compassion, a particular, a unique capacity for compassion on these people, and sees them as sheep without a shepherd, directionless and purposeless. But, but maybe, maybe the, the better way to see this is that the, the directions and the purposes that drove them to overthrow Rome and to reclaim their land, this starch, staunch patriotism, was misdirected. Maybe their, their purpose was, was misaimed. So Jesus teaches they they had a military leader. They had a king. A king who could make decrees and who could make laws and who could throw grand banquets for himself and go to war and who could command that the head of an innocent man be brought to him on a platter. They had a king. They had a military leader. Another one that's just simply aimed the direction they want isn't going to solve their ultimate problem. So Jesus teaches. They had religious leaders who invented rules and invented laws and that, that, that laid out for them how to live every moment of their lives. Jewish rituals had more to say about meals and food than almost really anything else. And yet here they arrive in the wilderness without food and needy. So Jesus teaches them. And Jesus provides for them. Jesus serves a banquet in the wilderness for them. And continues to teach the same message he's been teaching. Repent and believe. The directions and the purposes that are distracting you and pulling on you. And that you're expecting from me. The drum you're trying to beat that you want me to march to. Is misdirected and those purposes are misaimed. So that's a repentance to turn from those. And to see Jesus as the son of God. To believe Jesus to be the son of God all those directions, all those purposes will not satisfy and they'll leave you hungry. But being with Jesus though at this miraculous, unmistakably miraculous banquet in the wilderness satisfies all who came to Him. So abundant was this meal they had way more left over than what they started with. A basket for every one of the disciples so that they could learn the lesson too. No, my hands are not too small. No, my arms are not too short. Jesus' ministry was was always about teaching. And it's interesting in, in the book of Mark that He doesn't record a lot of Jesus' teaching, and the emphasis in Mark is on the one, is on Jesus, the one who does the teaching, His presence in this world, because His message hasn't really changed. It's the same message from day one that we got in chapter one. The miracle of of feeding 5,000 people until they were satisfied with abundant leftovers displays the power of Jesus to do a miracle like this. But His miracles were always about teaching. Teach to train that you would see something bigger. This retreat come away with me by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while was supposed to be about rest for Jesus, for his disciples after this long stretch of of really intense ministry. And, And then they end up in this wilderness place that's crowded with needy people. And it gives us that iconic image from the Old Testament, an iconic image of redemptive history. But but this place, this wilderness, this desert becomes restful in the presence of the chief shepherd. In the presence of the shepherd who looks at his sheep and knows what they need. In the presence of the Son of God who turns his face towards heaven and breaks bread, interceding on behalf of the people with God. The wilderness I think of as... as as a metaphor for the life that you and I experience in in a fallen world where things are broken feels desolate sometimes we we are distant from god separated from god even in our closest moments this is not how god our creator intended it to be he created man and placed him in a garden a place of flourishing, a place where they could experience God's presence and and His provision everywhere they looked, in the temperature, in the food. It was all there, created for human flourishing. But we live out our days in desolate places. We live out our days in a desert and wilderness with separation between us and our God, hungry, thirsty, dry oftentimes. Knowing, knowing that there's there's nothing here that's actually going to satisfy us, but we're going to come and go and we're going to turn about and we're going to seek and we're going to try and pound through sand and scrub brush in this desolate place trying to make something work. And somehow... In a brilliant twist that only the best stories can pull off, it's in those desolate places that God meets us. It's in the desert, it's in the wilderness, that God comes to His people and provides for them. This wilderness that we all experience becomes restful because it's here. It's here in this world. It's here in in, in our plane of existence on this desolate planet that Jesus has established a feast of fellowship with His people. It's here that Jesus came. And it's here that He created fellowship. So this meal points backwards down through redemptive history, pointing out that God has always been a good, good Father, like we sang earlier who provides for his people, who pursues his people, who rescues his people, who has formed his people, and who always provided for them in the wilderness. And this meal points forward to a time of uninterrupted feasting with Jesus. There's a day coming when he truly makes everything new and you get this This image of a a desert that blooms again. Gardens sprouting up. Because that's how God created us. To live in a flourishing place in relationship with Him. And yet He meets us in the wilderness and meets us in the desert. This wilderness experience becomes restful when we sit at the feet of Jesus When we come to him and hear his teaching and accept his direction and find our purpose in his purpose and our identity in him, this desert experience becomes restful in Christ. Mark includes a really, really specific detail in verse 39. And he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. On the green grass. That might be the first color in the whole book. I, I didn't do that study, but the green grass is a sharp detail in Mark. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want sufficiency, the abundance in Christ. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. Not the drums that I want to beat, but for His namesake, for His glory. He leads me in the best places. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's guarding and there's guiding in that imagery, discipline and protection. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows." Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The crowds long for a military Messiah, a Joshua-like figure, someone to march to the beat of their drum and to push back Rome, but Jesus becomes for them a new and better Moses. A teacher, a provider, a leader, a shepherd, pointing them towards green pasture, bringing to them abundance. The crowds long for a king to overthrow their enemies, and Jesus serves them a meal in the midst of their enemies. In Roman-occupied Israel, here's a banquet, and so becomes for them the new and better David, a shepherd and a king. Are your directions and purposes submitted to Jesus as shepherd and king? This is our response is to consider. Consider our direction, consider our purposes. Are your directions and your purposes submitted to Jesus as shepherd and king? The disciples play an important role. In this wilderness banquet. This whole section in Mark is about the expansion of Jesus' mission through his disciples. And we see this progression as the model builds. It's from them, from his disciples, that Jesus receives those first five loaves and two fish. And then it's through them that he serves the crowd. They bring something woefully inadequate in obedience and an investment in what Jesus is doing. And in His hands, it's multiplied into abundance. So, consider, consider your place and your role in the mission, in Jesus' mission, to advance His kingdom. Or your life and your priorities submitted to Jesus as shepherd and king You, you have a part to play, Christian. You, you have a part to play in the kingdom of God. You have a place and a role in God's kingdom. We start with our own, our own circles of influence our coworkers, our friends, our neighbors, our family. We start with our own city, with our own neighborhoods, the people we already know but you have a role and a part to play.